Part 2 of Chapter 10 of The Abandoned Room This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Reading done by Jules Harlock of Mississauga, Ontario, Canada. The Abandoned Room by Wadsworth Camp the cedars is left to its shadow chapter ten section two katherine got a cloak and threw it across the woman's shoulders maria looked up at her with a dumb gratitude then rawlins came back with jenkins the butler was bent and haggard his surrender to fear was more pronounced than it had been at the grave or when they had last seen him in the kitchen he grasped the chair and, breathing heavily, looked from one to the other, moistening his lips. Paredes faced the man, completely master of the situation. Through the old butler it became clear he would make his revelation and announce that simple fact they all had missed. It was Mr. Silas, of course, who came back. Oh, my God, the butler moaned. What do you mean? I know everything, Jenkins, Paredes said evenly. The butler collapsed against the chair. Paredes grasped his arm. Pull yourself together, man. They won't want you as more than an accessory. Maria started to rise. She shrank back again, shivering close to the fire. Is your master hiding, Paredes asked, or has he left the house? Jenkins' answer came through trembling lips. He's gone. Mr. Silas is gone. How did you find out? My God, how did you find out? He said nothing to you, Paredes asked. Jenkins shook his head. Tell me how he was dressed. The old servant covered his face. Mr. Silas stumbled through the kitchen, he answered, hoarsely. I tried to stop him, but he pushed me away and ran out. His voice rose. I tell you, he ran without a coat or a hat into the storm. Paredes sighed. The cedar's final tragedy, yet it was the most graceful exit he could have made. Maria struggled to her feet. Her eyes were the eyes of a person without reason. That familiar, hysterical quality which they had heard before at a distance vibrated in her voice. Then he was the one. I wanted to kill him. I couldn't kill him because I never was sure. Did you see him go out an hour or so ago? Paredes asked. I saw him, she cried feverishly, run from the back of the house and down the path to the lake. I, I tried to catch him, but my feet were frozen and the snow was slippery, and I couldn't find my shoes, but I called and he wouldn't stop. I had to know because I wanted to kill him if it was Silas Blackburn and I saw him run to the lake and splash in until the water was over his head. She flung her clenched hands out. Her voice became a scream, shot with all her suffering, all her doubt, all her fury. You don't understand. He can't be punished. I tell you, he's at the bottom of the lake with the man he murdered, and I can't pay him. I tried to go after him, but it, it was too cold. She sank in one of the chairs, shaking and sobbing. 
Unless we want another tragedy, the doctor said, this woman must be put to bed and taken care of. She has been terribly exposed. You've heard her. She's delirious. Not so delirious that she hasn't told the truth, Paredes said. The doctor lifted her in his arms and with Rawlins' help carried her upstairs. Catherine went with them. Almost immediately the doctor and Rawlins hurried down. I have told Catherine what to do, Dr. Groom said. The woman may be all right in the morning. What's she been up to here? Then, Bobby cried, there was a connection between the dinner party and the murders. But what about my coming here unconscious? What about my handkerchief? I can see no answer yet, Graham said. Paredes smiled. Not when you've had the answer to everything. I have shown you that Silas Blackburn was the murderer. The facts stared you in the face. Everything that has happened at the Cedars has pointed to his guilt, except, the doctor said, his own apparent murder which made his guilt seem impossible. And I'm not sure you're right now, for there is no other Blackburn he could have murdered, and Blackburns look alike. You wouldn't mistake another man for one of them. This house, Pretty smiled, has all along been full of the presence of the other Blackburn. There has been evidence enough for you all to have known he was here. He stretched himself in an easy chair. He lighted a cigarette and blew the smoke toward the ceiling. I shall tell you the simple facts, if only to save my skin from this bloodthirsty district attorney. Rub it in. Robinson grinned. I'll take my medicine. They gathered closer about the Panamanian. Jenkins sidled to the back of his chair. I don't see how you found it out, he muttered. I had only one advantage over you or the police, Graham, Paredes began, and you were in a position to overcome that. Maria did telephone me the afternoon of that ghastly dinner. She asked me to get hold of Bobby. She was plainly anxious to keep him in New York that night, and, to be frank, I was glad enough to help her when you turned up, trying to impress us with your Puritan watchfulness. Even you guessed that she had drugged Bobby. I suspected it when I saw him go to pieces in the cafe. He gave me the slip, as I told you, in the cloakroom when I was trying to get him home. So I went back and asked Maria what her idea was. She laughed in my face, denying everything. I, too, suspected the stranger, but I've convinced myself that he simply happened along by chance. Now here's the first significant point. Maria, by drugging Bobby, defeated her own purpose. He had been drinking more than the Band of Hope would approve of, and on top of that he got an overdose of a powerful drug. The doctor can tell you better than I of the likely effect of such a combination. What I told you in the court, Bobby, the doctor answered, much the same symptoms as genuine aphasia. Your brain was unquestionably dulled by an overdose on top of all that alcohol, while your mechanical reflexes were stimulated. Automatically, you followed your ruling impulse. 
automatically at the last minute you revolted from exposing yourself in such a condition to your cousin and your grandfather your lucid periods in the woods just before you reached the deserted house and went to sleep showed that your exercise was overcoming the effect of the drug that moment you'll remember was colored by the fanciful ideas such a drug would induce so bobby paredes said although you were asleep when the body moved and when howells was murdered you can be sure you weren't anywhere near the old room but i walked in my sleep last night bobby reminded him the doctor slapped his knee i understand it was only when we thought that was your habit that it frightened us it's plain this sleepwalking had been suggested to you and you had brooded upon the suggestion until you were bound to respond graham's presence in your room watching for just that reaction was a perpetual and unescapable stimulation it would have been a miracle in itself if your brain had failed to carry it out bobby made a swift gesture of distaste if you hadn't come carlos where would i have been why did you come graham asked bobby was my friend the panamanian answered he had been very good to me when i read of his grandfather's death i wondered why maria had drugged him to keep him in new york in the coincidence lurked an element of trouble for him at first i suspected some kind of an understanding between her and old blackburn perhaps she had engaged to keep bobby away from the cedars until the new will had been made but here was blackburn murdered and it was manifest she hadn't tried to throw suspicion on bobby and the points that made howells's case incomplete assured me of his innocence who then had killed his grandfather not maria for i had dropped her at her apartment that night too late for her to get out here by the hour of the murder still as you suspected maria was the key and i began to speculate about her she had told me something of her history you might have had as much from her press agent although she had lived in spain since she was a child she was born in panama my own country of a spanish mother and an american father right away i wondered if blackburn had ever been in panama or spain i began to seek the inception of the possible understanding between them since i found no illuminating documents about blackburn's past in the library i concluded if such papers existed they would be locked up in the desk in his room i searched there a number of times giving you every excuse i could think of to get upstairs the other night after i had suspected her of knowing something miss katherine nearly caught me but i found what i wanted a carefully hidden packet of accounts and letters and newspaper clippings they're at your service mr district attorney they told me that silas blackburn had been in panama they proved that maria instead of ever having been his accomplice was his enemy they explained the source of his wealth and the foundation of that enmity certainly you remember the doctor told us silas blackburn started life with nothing and hadn't you ever wondered why with all his money he buried himself in this lonely hole 
He returned from South America rich more than 25 years ago, the doctor said. Why should we bother about his money? I wish you had bothered about several things besides your ghosts, Paredes said. You'd have found it significant that Blackburn laid the foundation of his fortune in Panama during the hideous scandals of the old French Canal Company. We knew he was a selfish tyrant. That discovery showed me how selfish, how merciless he was. For to succeed in Panama during those days required an utter contempt for all the standards of law and decency. The men who got along held life cheaper than a handful of coppers. That's what I meant when I walked around the hall talking of the ghosts of Panama. For I was beginning to see Silas Blackburn's fear, his trip to Smithtown, were the first indications of the presence of the other Blackburn. The papers outlined him more clearly. Why had it been forgotten here, doctor, that Silas Blackburn had a brother, his partner in those wretched and profitable contract scandals? You mean, the doctor answered, Robert Blackburn? He was a year younger than Silas. This boy was named in memory of him. Why should anyone have remembered? He died in South America more than a quarter of a century ago, before these children were born. That's what Silas Blackburn told you when he came back, Peretti said. He may have believed it at first, or he may not have. I dare say he wanted to, for he came back with his brother's money as well as his own. The cash and the easily convertible securities that were all men would handle in that hell. But he never forgot that his brother's wife was alive, and when he ran from Panama he knew she was about to become a mother. That brings me to the other feature that made me wander around here like a restless spirit myself that night. You had just told your story about the woman crying. If there was a strange woman around here, it was almost certainly Maria. As Rawlins deduced, she must either be hysterical or signaling someone. Why should she come unless something had gone wrong the night she drugged Bobby to keep him in New York? She wasn't his enemy, because that very night she did him a good turn by trampling out his tracks in the court. Bobby took Maria's letter from his pocket and handed it to Paredes. Then how would you account for this? The Panamanian read the letter. Her way of covering herself, he explained. In case you suspected she had made you drink too much or had drugged you, she really wanted you to come to tea that afternoon. It was after writing that that she found out what had gone wrong. In other words, she read in the paper of Silas Blackburn's death, and in a panic she put on plain clothes and hurried out to see what had happened. The fact that she'd forgot her managers, her professional reputation, everything testified to her anxiety. And I began to sense the truth. She had been born in Panama of a Spanish mother and an American father. She had some stealthy interest in the Cedars and the Blackburns. She was about the right age. Ten to one, she was Silas Blackburn's niece. So for me, 
Many hours before Silas Blackburn walked in here, the presence of the other Blackburn about the Cedars became a tragic and threatening inevitability. Had Silas Blackburn been murdered, or had his brother? Where was the survivor who had committed that brutal murder? Maria had come here hysterically to answer those questions. She might know. The light in the deserted house. She might be hiding him and taking food to him there. But her crying suggested a signal which he never answered. At any rate, I had to find Maria. So I slipped out. I thought I heard her at the lake. She wasn't there. I was sure I would trap her at the deserted house. For the diffused glow of the light we had seen proved that it had come through the cobwebbed windows of the cellar which are set in little wells below the level of the ground. The cellar explained also how she had turned her flashlight off and slipped through the hall and out while we searched the rooms. She hadn't gone back. I couldn't find her, so I went on into Smithtown and sent a costly cable to my father. His answer came tonight, just before Silas Blackburn walked in. He had talked with several of the survivors of those evil days. He gave me a confirmation of everything I had gathered from the papers. The Blackburns had quarreled over a contract. Robert had been struck over the head. He wandered about the isthmus, half-witted, forgetting his name, nursing one idea. Someone had robbed him, and he wanted his money back or a different kind of payment but he couldn't remember who, and he took it out in angry talk. Then he disappeared, and people said he had gone to Spain. Of course his wife suspected a good deal. In Blackburn's desk are pitiful and threatening letters from her which he ignored. Then she died, and Blackburn thought he was safe, but he took no chances. Some survivor of those days might turn up and try blackmail. It was safer to bury himself here. Then, Bobby said, Maria must have brought her father with her when she came from Spain last summer. Brought him or sent for him, Paredes answered. She's made most of her money on this side, you know, and she's as loyal and generous as she is impulsive. Undoubtedly, she had the doctors do what they could for her father, and when she got track of Silas Blackburn, through you, Bobby, she nursed in the warped brain that dominant idea with her own Latin desire for justice and payment. Then, Graham said, that's what Silas Blackburn was afraid of instead of Bobby, as he tried to convince us tonight to cover himself. One minute, Mr. Paredes, Robinson broke in. Why did you maintain this extraordinary secrecy? Nobody would have hurt you if you had put us on the right track and asked for a little help. Why did you throw sand in our eyes? Why did you talk all the time about ghosts? I had to go on tiptoe, Paredes smiled. I suspected there was at least one spy in the house. So I gave the doctor's ghost talk all the impetus I could. I was like Howells, as I told you in believing the case couldn't be complete without the discovery of the secret entrance of the room of death. My belief in the existence of such a thing made me lean from the first to Silas Blackburn rather than Robert. 
It's a tradition in many families to hand such things down to the head of each generation. Silas Blackburn was the one most likely to know. Such a secret door had never been mentioned to you, had it, Bobby? Bobby shook his head. Paredes turned and smiled at the haggard butler. I'm right so far, am I not? Jenkins? Jenkins bobbed his head jerkily. Then, Paredes went on, you might answer one or two questions. When did the first letter that frightened your master come? The day he went to Smithtown and talked to the detective, the butler quavered. You can understand his reflections, Paredes mused. Money was his god. He distrusted and hated his own flesh and blood because he thought they coveted it. He was prepared to punish them by leaving it to a public charity. Now arises this apparition from the past with no claim in the court of law, with an intention simply to ask and, in case of refusal, to punish. The conclusion reached by that selfish and merciless mind was inevitable. He probably knew nothing whatever about Maria. If all the world thought his brother dead, his brother's murder now wouldn't alter anything. I'll wager, doctor, that at that time he talked over wounds at the base of the brain with you. The doctor moved restlessly. Yes, but he was very superstitious. We talked about it in connection with his ancestors who had died of such wounds in that room. Everything was ready when he made the rendezvous here, Paredes went on. He expected to have Bobby at hand in case his plan failed and he had to defend himself. But Maria had made sure that there should be no help for him. When the man came, did you take him upstairs, Jenkins? No, sir. I watched that Miss Catherine didn't leave the library, but I think she must have caught Mr. Silas in the upper hall after he had pretended to give up and had persuaded his brother to spend the night. Peretti smiled whimsically. He took two faded photographs from his pocket. They were of young men, after the fashion of the Blackburns, remarkably alike, even without the gray obliterating marks of old age i found these in the family album he said we should have known the difference just the same the doctor grumbled why didn't we know the difference i've complained often enough paredes smiled of the necessity of using candles in this house there was never more than one candle in the old bedroom there were only two when we looked at the murdered man in his coffin and in death there are no familiar facial expressions, no eccentricities of speech. So you can imagine my feeling when I tried to picture the drama that had gone on in that room. You can imagine poor Maria's. Which one? And Maria didn't know about the panel, or the use of Miss Catherine's hat pin, or the handkerchief. All of those details indicated Silas Blackburn. How could my handkerchief indicate anything of the kind? Bobby asked. How did it come there? What, Paredes said, is the commonest form of borrowing in the world, particularly in a climate where people have frequent colds. I found a number of your handkerchiefs in your grandfather's bureau. 
the handkerchief furnished me with an important clue it explains i think jenkins will tell you the moving of the body it was obviously the cause of howells's death yes sir jenkins quavered mr silas thought he had dropped his own handkerchief in the room with the body i don't know how you found these things out by adding two and two paredes laughed in the first place you must all realize that we might have had no mystery at all if it hadn't been for miss katherine for i don't know what marie could have done much in a legal way silas blackburn had intended to dispose of the body immediately but miss katherine heard the panel move and ran to the corridor she made jenkins break down the door and she sent for the police silas blackburn was helpless he was beaten at that moment but he did the best he could he went to waters hoping at the worst to establish an alibi through the bookworm who probably wouldn't remember the exact hour of his arrival waters house offered him too a strategic advantage you heard him say the spare room was on the ground floor you heard him add that he refused to open his door either asking to be left alone or failing to answer at all and he had to return to the cedars the next day for he missed his handkerchief and he pictured himself since he thought it was his own in the electric chair i'm right jenkins yes sir i kept him hidden and gave him his chance along in the afternoon he wanted me to try to find the handkerchief but i didn't have the courage he couldn't find it he searched through the panel all about the body and the bed that was when katherine heard bobby said when we found the body had been moved it put him in a dreadful way jenkins mumbled for no one had bothered to tell me it was young mr robert the detective suspected and when mr silas heard the detective boast that he knew everything and would make an arrest in the morning he thought about the handkerchief and he knew he was done for unless he took howells up and the man did ask for trouble sir well mr silas gave it to him to save himself i've never been able to understand paredes said why he didn't take the evidence when he killed howells didn't you know you prevented that sir jenkins asked i heard you come in from the court i thought you'd been listening i signaled mr silas there was danger and to get out of the private stairway before you could trap him and i couldn't give him another chance for a long time some of you were in the room after that or miss katherine and mr graham were sitting in the corridor watching the body until just before mr robert tried to get the evidence for himself mr silas had to act then it was his last chance for he thought mr robert would be glad enough to turn him over to the law why did you ever hide that stuff in miss katherine's room bobby asked jenkins flung up his hands oh he was angry sir when he knew the truth and learned what a mistake he'd made howells didn't give me that report i showed you it was in his pocket with the other things we got it open without tearing the envelope and mr silas read it he wouldn't destroy anything he never dreamed of anybody suspecting miss katherine so he told me to hide the things in her bureau 
I think he figured on using the evidence to put the blame on Mr. Robert in case it was the only way to save himself. Why did you show the report to me? Bobby asked. I... I was afraid to take all that responsibility, the butler quavered. I figured if you were partly to blame, it might go easier with me. Paredes shrugged his shoulders. You are a good mate for Silas Blackburn, he sneered. Even now I don't see how the old scoundrel had the courage to show himself tonight, Rawlins said. That's the beautiful justice of the whole thing, Paredes answered for there was nothing else whatever for him to do. There never had been anything else for him to do since Miss Catherine had spoiled his scheme, since you all believed that it was he who had been murdered. He had to hide the truth or face the electric chair. If he disappeared, he was infinitely worse off than though he had settled with his brother. A man without a home, without a name, without a penny, Jenkins nodded. He had to come back, he said slowly, and he knew how scared you were of the old room. The funeral and the snow, Paredes said, gave him his chance. Jenkins will doubtless tell you how they uncovered the grave late this afternoon, took that poor devil's body and threw it in the lake, then fastened the coffin and covered it again. Of course the snow effaced every one of their tracks, he came in, naturally scared to death, and told us that story based on the legends of the cedars and the doctor's supernatural theories. And you must admit that he might, as you call it, have got away with it. He did create a mystification. The body of the murdered man had disappeared. There was no murdered Blackburn, as far as you could tell. Heaven knows how long you might have struggled with the case of Howells. He glanced up. Here is Miss Catherine. She stood at the head of the stairs. I think she's all right, she said to the doctor. She's asleep. She went to sleep crying. May I come down? The doctor nodded. She walked down, glancing from one to the other questioningly. Poor Maria, Paredes mused. She's the one I pity most. She's been at times, I think, what Rawlins suspected an insane woman wandering and crying through the woods assuredly she was out of her head tonight when i found her finally at the grave i tried to tell her that her father was dead i begged her to come in i told her we were friends but she fought she wouldn't answer my questions she struck me finally when i tried to force her to come out of the storm robinson i want you to listen to me for a moment I honestly believe, for everybody's sake, I did a good thing when I asked Silas Blackburn just before he disappeared why he had thrown his brother's body in the lake. I'd hoped it would simply make him run for it. I prayed that we would never hear from him again and that Miss Catherine and Bobby could be spared the ugly scandal. Doesn't this do as well? Can't we get along without much publicity? You've about earned the right to dictate, Robinson said, gruffly. Thanks. For everybody's sake, Bobby echoed, you're right, Carlos. Maria must be considered now. She shall have what was taken from her father with interest. I know Catherine will agree. Catherine nodded. 
I doubt if Maria will want to or take it, Paredes said simply. She has plenty of her own. It isn't fair to think it was greed that urged her. You must understand that it was a bigger impulse than greed. It was a thing of which we of Spanish blood are rather proud. A desire for justice, for something that has no softer name than revenge. Suddenly Rawlins stooped and took the Panamanian's hand. Say, we've been giving you the raw end of a lot of snap judgments. We've never got acquainted until tonight. Glad to meet you, too, Robinson grinned. Rawlins patted the Panamanian's shoulder. At that, you'd make a first-class detective. Paredes yawned. I disagree with you thoroughly. I have no equipment beyond my eyes and my common sense. He yawned again. He arranged the card table in front of the fire. He got the cards and piled them in neat packs on the green cloth. He placed a box of cigarettes convenient to his right hand. He smoked. I'm very sleepy, but I've been so stupid over this solitaire since I've been at the Cedars that I must solve it in the interests of my self-respect before I go to bed. Bobby went to him impulsively. I'm ashamed, Carlos. I don't know what to say. How can I say anything? How can I begin to thank you? If you ever tell me I saved your life, Paredes yawned, I shall have to disappear because then you have a claim on me. Catherine touched his hand. There were tears in her eyes. It wasn't necessary for her to speak. Paredes indicated two chairs. If you aren't too tired, sit here and help me for a while. Perhaps between us we'll get somewhere. I wonder why I have been so stupid with the thing. After a time, as he manipulated the cards, he laughed lightly. The same thing. The thing I've been scolding you all for. With a perfectly simple play staring me in the face, I nearly made the mistake of choosing a difficult one. That would have got me in trouble while the simple one gives me the game. Why are people like that? As he moved the cards with deft assurance to their desired combination, he smiled drolly at Graham, Rawlins, and Robinson. I guess it must be human nature. Don't you think so, Mr. District Attorney? The condition Paredes had more than once foreseen was about to shroud the Cedars in loneliness and abandonment. After the hasty double burial in the old graveyard, the few things Bobby and Catherine wanted from the house had been packed and taken to the station. At Catherine's suggestion, they had decided to leave last of all and to walk. Paredes, with a tender solicitude, had helped Maria to the waiting automobile. He came back, trying to color his goodbye with cheerfulness. After all, you may open the place again and let me visit you. You will visit us perpetually, Bobby said, while Catherine pressed the Panamanian's hand, but never here again. We will leave it to its ghosts, as you have often prophesied. I am not sure, Paredes said thoughtfully, that the ghosts aren't here. It was evident that Graham wished to speak to Bobby and Catherine alone, so the Panamanian strolled back to the automobile. Graham's embarrassment made them all uncomfortable. 
you have not said much to me katherine he began is it because i practically lied to bobby trying to keep you apart she tried to smile i too must ask forgiveness i shouldn't have spoken to you as i did the other night in the hall but i thought because you saw bobby and i had come together that you had spied on me had deliberately tricked me knowing the evidence was in my room of course you did try to help bobby yes he said and i tried to help you that night i was sure you were innocent i believe the best way to prove it to them was to let them search the two of you have nothing worse than jealousy to reproach me with in a sense it pleased bobby that graham who had always made him feel unworthy in katherine's presence should confess himself not beyond reproach come hartley he cried i was beginning to think you were perfect we'll get along all the better the three of us for having had it out graham murmured his thanks he joined paredes and maria in the automobile as they drove off paredes turned his face as he waved a languid farewell was quite without expression bobby and katherine were left alone to the thicket and the old house after a time they walked through the court and from the shadow of the time-stained melancholy walls at the curve of the driveway they paused and looked back the shroud of loneliness and abandonment descending upon the cedars became for them nearly ponderable so they turned from that brooding picture and hand in hand walked out of the forest into the friendly and welcoming sunlight End of chapter 10, section 2 End of book The Abandoned Room by Wadsworth Camp